This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. And welcome into Purple Access, of course, part of the uh, Purple Daily family. Hope that your day is going well. It is uh, Tyler Fornis this week from, of course, Vikings Wire, where I also write for. It does an outstanding job, really, your one-stop shopping for all of Vikings coverage. Uh, Tyler and the team do a great job, and, um, of course, you, you can also hear him. On Mondays with a guy who's on the screen as well, that's Declan Goff, the executive producer of Score North. Purple Daily brought to you by our friends at TCL. And also, today's episode brought to you by our friends at Livia Weight Control Centers who can help you lose the weight. And look, I've I've been talking about them for a couple of years now. Several of our listeners and viewers have used this and have had great success. But you know what? It's not just us. Uh, voted the best weight loss program in the state of Minnesota three consecutive years. That's right, Livia Weight Control Centers. And right now, a special offer, three months free. Three months for free. You're going to lose a lot of weight, and you are just going to be started on your weight loss journey. 855-GO-L-I-V-E-A-LIVIA.COM, L-I-V-E-A-LIVIA.COM, three months free right now. Tyler, welcome to the show. Uh, Let's start off with this. The 53-man roster was set on Tuesday. And, and then as we talked about a bunch, that's like the first one, first incarnation. And then it's set again when moves are, are made. So as we sit here now, uh, a week from Sunday, Vikings open the season against Tampa Bay. What are your impressions of the 53? What were your, if, if there were some, what were your surprises about how things uh, uh, were done by Tuesday at three o'clock? And then just as importantly, in the next couple of days, as the roster was uh, tweaked. I found the construction a little bit intriguing just because of the players that they valued. And we knew the second we saw the 53, they weren't going to uh, just have the same backfield, the same offensive line, the receiver room probably was going to lose a guy. And that got confirmed with the Vikings shopping Jalen Rager and not able to do so. now he's on the New England Patriots practice squad, but luckily we can get a, um, cap savings here in 2024, which will be nice. I mean, 2.42 million is a drop in the bucket, but even at just over 1% of the salary cap, that matters, especially when you're talking about, Hey, maybe you can sign a veteran, but you can't give him 5 million. You can give him four. And then that veteran goes to a rival. Like those, those little details matter, but I thought it was really intriguing. And something I had talked about on the real Forno show was keeping six safeties and I thought it was a possibility because Theo Jackson played really, really well. He's only a second year player. And 
being that he was a six round pick last year out of Tennessee by the Tennessee Titans. And then he comes over here and mainly does special teams in his elevated call-ups. I thought like he just played really well and he had earned a spot on the team, but it's like, okay, are you going to keep six safeties? If you do, what are you going to do in at corner? Are you going to have Jay Ward do a lot more corner responsibilities because he played outside in slot corner, significant amount of snaps for the LSU Tigers. So understanding how that complexity was going to work. Five defensive line tells me they're going to do a lot of elevations initially. And then like kind of injuries, figure things out. They already signed David Questenberry, who's a fine player. He's nothing to get excited about. He did have cancer back in 2014. So he was a 2013 draft pick. Didn't actually suit up for a game until 2017. He had a very odd start to his career. Thankfully he's, he's fine. But the one year that he was a full-time starter, he was good. And that was 2021. I think it's a good addition, but he's a backup tackle. You don't want him to play anyways, but if he has to, it feels like it's not going to be an adjunct disaster. And the last big takeaway, they couldn't get Andre Carter through waivers. They really didn't feel like they're going to, and they kept him. And it was something that I, I thought they were going to do for a long time. And then my final prediction, I'm like, you know what? His play was so poor, especially at the point of attack. Maybe they'll try and sneak him through waivers. And they didn't. And uh, my producer, Dave, now owes me a bottle of bourbon. So I'll take that as a win. Uh, Forno, were you, are, are you a little concerned about the O-line depth behind the starters? I mean, they get rid of Darian Lowe. I know we didn't really touch much on that on the Purple Daily on draft episode earlier this month. But do you expect a Dalton Reisner signing after week one? Do you expect maybe another type of claim or another roster spot for the offensive line depth? How do you kind of feel about that position group after the uh, first couple tweaks to the 53? I think it's a twofold answer here, Declan. How I feel about the roster is going to be completely different from how the Vikings are going to approach it because they are obviously higher on the interior of this offensive line than the rest of us are. They also see these guys every single day in all aspects of the building. Ezra Cleveland is an average guard who had really poor pass blocking stats. He was like third in pressures allowed with like 55 last year. Ed Ingram was obviously number one at 63. Part of that was the offense that they played last year and what Kevin O'Connell was asking Kirk Cousins to do. And because of the play call, that's going to inherently spike up those pressures as they were asking the receivers to run a lot of longer developing routes. The longer you develop your routes, the harder it's going to be for your offensive lineman to fully block for all those routes. And the longer you ask them to do a job, it gets increasingly harder every single half second. Ask any offensive lineman. The whole goal of offensive line is to lose slowly because you're going to lose. It's inevitable. You're going to get beat. But if the slower you lose, the better you play. And that's why some guys just have a massive career in the national football league. The shift to 12 personnel is going to do two things. One, it's going to have a lot more boot action to ease things up on guys like Garrett Bradbury, Ezra Cleveland, Ed Ingram. It's one of the reasons why like Bradbury is such a good zone blocking center, because while he can get forklifted, which didn't happen nearly as much last year, which is great to see when you're doing rollouts, you're doing zone blocking. So you're kind of angling yourself and you're preventing a defender from really getting up into your armpits and lifting you up like a, like a sled. And be having that plus Josh Oliver, who's like an extra tackle. If Oliver can handle defensive end on occasion for three seconds, then guess what? Darius or O'Neal can come and crash and double team 
an interior defensive lineman and make their jobs that much easier. So there are so many little nuanced things that are going to be different offensively. And we've seen this style of offense before. Uh, 2019, 2020, 2021, we basically ran what we're going to run this upcoming season. So I am going to be worried about this offensive line if the interior does not see a significant improvement by significant go from like six to seven pressures a game allowed to four or five, like taking a couple pressures out per game is a massive improvement. And if we see that, I I'm not going to be so worried the depth behind the offense line. You don't want those guys to play anyway. So if they're capable, which I really think they are, Brandel showed he could play left tackle, need a little bit of help with some speed guys, but that Patriots game was excellent. Udo has flashed at tackle and he has the ability to play guard, which you don't want him to do. And then you have Austin Sultman, who's basically a B version of Garrett Bradbury. Like I think they're fine. And at a certain point we can talk about, Oh, we really want these guys to invest a lot into the depth of offensive line, but do you really want to pay $5 million for one depth offensive lineman? That's not going to start that's kind of where the salary cap comes into play. You're just going to have to roll with what you got. And if the interior struggles, sign a guy like Risner and just pay him the money. You have the cap space, but they're not going to want to, unless they have to. So um, TJ Hawkinson gets a contract extension, resets the market. Mm-hmm. Um, he certainly is, is coming off a very impressive year, at least the portion that he spent here. Uh, it's not surprising that he got an extension. The fact that he is able to reset the tight end market, my theory, Tyler, is this. I think this is very much why in March they did not sign Cousins to, to an extension because they are picking the guys that they are going to sign and sign long-term. TJ Hawkinson, Justin Jefferson is going to be next. Um, Christian Derrissaw a year plus fr- from now. So with that being said, do you agree with the strategy? And to me, part of the strategy here very clearly is this. They they are banking on the fact that Kevin O'Connell can develop a quarterback. So like if Kirk says, hey, I got one more contract left and I'm, go- I'm going to, again, try and get as much as I possibly can, that the Vikings will say, okay, that's fine. We have enough confidence in our coach to develop a quarterback. What are your thoughts on, on what I think is very much a calculated gamble here from a financial salary cap type of picture? It absolutely is. And I I think they're really trying to set themselves up for a young quarterback to take over. You could argue that outside of maybe Kansas city, that the Vikings have the best infrastructure to help a young quarterback succeed. You have bookend tackles. You have a superstar wide receiver. You have a, an offensive minded head coach who has shown the propensity to be a good play caller. And he he's still learning. Like he, this was his first year calling play since 2019 where he did for part of the season after Jay Gruden got fired. And then you have TJ Hawkins at a top tight end. So you have all these nice pieces. And the, one of the more difficult parts about the quarterback position is if you go to a bad situation, like take a look at Justin Fields, electric passer in college goes to Chicago can barely do anything throwing the football we really don't know how much of that's on him versus how much of that is on his surroundings and the situation that he's put in because there's so many variables. I keep relating it back to that math problem. Goodwill hunting. If the more variables you have, the harder it is to truly understand what something is because you have to account for X, Y, Z, Q, R, P, and even F 
Like there's just too many different things. And if you want a quarterback to succeed, sometimes they can succeed despite everything. Like take a look at Trevor Lawrence. He survived Urban Meyer being his head coach in his rookie year and is um, already a top 10 quarterback in the National Football League. Not everybody can do that. There are plenty of guys. Ryan Leaf, more talented than Peyton Manning, absolutely burned out in San Diego and was an adjunct disaster. Peyton Manning, he went to a solid foundation and he was able to turn around really quick after a three and 13 rookie year. Everybody's so different at the position, but having a good infrastructure is only going to help. And this is committing to a building block. And one more thing, Judd, this is the first true contract extension. Quasi Dofomenza has given out CJ ham. I don't count. That was more of playing the, playing the math game. This was his first four year deal. Non rookie contract handed out. And depending on who you talk to, it, it reset the market, but the only way he gets above Darren Waller is the not likely to be earned incentives. And that to me is just posturing by the agent. Oh, we're the top paid tight end. Well, you're really not, but yeah, go for it. Forno, were you okay with the TJ Hawkinson extension? Obviously he resets the mark. He's now basically the highest paid guy uh, at his position. Um, I guess it was kind of the situation that they were dealt where you have a, 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 a player coming up for a contract extension and he wants the bag. Um, was it though the wise move to make him the highest paid tight end in the NFL? And it's, it's a twofold answer again, Duckland. It's the cost of doing business. Anytime you sign a guy to an extension, that's like in like the top five of their position, you're going to reset the market. It's just kind of the way it is. Remember when Kirk Cousins signed here, he got the $28 million a year contract and he was the top paid person in the league for like two weeks. And then Matt Ryan got his extension. That, and then Derek Carr got his right after that. Like it just kind of happens and it's, it's fine. I thought I projected that he would get closer to 14. I predicted four years, 56 million back in February, just because the way the tight end market was, I, I thought Hawkinson needed to prove at least one more year that he could be that guy. Cause you're really paying him off of a 10 game sample size. You're not paying him off of, Hey, he's done this for two seasons. So you're giving him top of the market money on a projection and you're not giving it to him based on what he's done. What he's done is really good, but we're not talking Travis Kelsey. What, what have you done? Like Travis Kelsey, if you give him 18 to $20 million, I don't think anybody really bats an eye. It's Travis Kelsey. He has a history of this. TJ Hawkinson is 10 games. So I thought that they would try to really get that lower level contract what Mark Andrews got four years, 56, because that I thought was a very fair contract based on the level he was currently playing at and all the information we knew, but they paid him top of the market and their expectations. He's going to stay there for a long time and it's a calculated gamble, but I think it's one that's worth paying. And I I think where the Hawkinson camp um, definitely got, got leverage here is this. Tyler, what you talked about, which is the very apparent switch to a lot more 12 personnel, uh, because TJ Hawkinson is the linchpin there. Like he is the guy who's going to be. And and I think the argument, and it's partially correct, is is that guys like Kelsey and Hawkinson and go down the list of the top uh, pass catching tight ends. Uh, the, The feeling has been for a while now, like those guys deserve to be paid more like receivers 
And Hawkinson is clearly going to be a huge part of the passing game. So I think the Vikings acknowledgement that they're going to more 12 personnel. And yes, it was a small sample size, but the difference Hawkinson made in the passing game and to Cousins um, tipped the scales in his favor. And so I'm not totally surprised that that was probably a point of contention too in the discussions of, hey, you're you're personally going to switch uh, to 12 personnel more because in large part of my guy. So I think there were things there working in Hawkinson's mm-hmm. favor for sure that um, that got this to where it, it ends up, which to your point is a very nice contract, probably not what it's sold as completely. But if you're TJ, I don't think you care about that. Yeah, I wrote a piece this morning for the Vikings where I kind of breaking down the nuances of the contract. It's pretty fair considering both parties. The Vikings have an out after 2025 if something goes south with TJ Hawkinson or they just they don't have salary cap space to give him like a near $20 million cap hit. It's a $7.2 million dead cap. Pretty reasonable. And that's two years into the actual extension. So in three seasons. And $18 million in signing bonus. This year's only a four point, like I think it's a $4.4 million cap hit. That, that, that's fine. And they save a little bit off the off of this year's cap that can go and help a Justin Jefferson contract extension that could go for a free agent that could roll over. We'll see how they want to use that. But I think the biggest thing Judd that really signaled that we need you TJ Hawkinson and you're going to be a huge portion of his offense going out and getting Josh Oliver and giving him $7 million a year. That was a real signal because Oliver's a really good compliment to what TJ is great blocker. He can go in line. He moves a lot better than people want to give him credit for because they just haven't seen it because who is watching 2018 San Jose state? I was you, but I was going to say you I'm look, I'm a glorified sicko and college football is back tomorrow. And Oh my God, I can't wait, but it's it was back those, last night Forno. come on, go for split in Nebraska. What the hell are you talking about? Oh, Look, Thursday night's a great appetizer. Friday night's going to be a, a great one. There's nothing like sitting in the in my basement on a Saturday afternoon, five games in front of you, and just being like, ah, this is the life. Thursday's nice, but Saturday is when it really feels like it's here. And it's when we get and getting back to Josh Oliver, his game was dominating up the seams and being able to take seam routes and just challenging defenses vertically. Not everybody can do that, especially at the tight end position. And he's such a monster. Like There are very, very few people who make me feel small. I'm 6'6", over 300 pounds. I'm built like a left tackle. I feel small next to guys like Josh Oliver. And that's really hard to do. He's just the behemoth of a man. And that ability to be able to do both, it's one, why the adage exists that uh, you draft a tight end for their second team. And two, it takes a long time for these guys to develop because there has to be tackles and receivers. All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com.
Bono, do you see another uh, contract extension coming out before week one, maybe to Justin Jefferson uh, by the time they kick off against the Bucks, Or do you think that's something that'll probably either linger into the season or potentially get done in the off season? No, that's a great question, Declan. I, I honestly don't know. They want to get that Justin Jefferson contract extension done. And that's been consistent across the board. They want it. They want to be able to do it. They want to be able to have him locked up long-term, but there's so many different things that are potential hurdles. That is, does Justin Jefferson want to wait it out? Like, are the Vikings willing to meet the demand for money uh, there and how the structure, because when you take a look at history contracts and I broke this down last November, recently, like the only receiver who signed a four-year extension was AJ Brown. Everybody's signing three-year deals. So like DK Metcalf's going to hit the free agency market at 28 years old. Terry McLaurin, 29. And they're going to be able to cash in again. Just Devontae Adams just cashed in on a five-year deal, 29 years old. So is Justin Jefferson, being that he came in the league at 20, is he going to want to sign a three-year deal so he can cash in at 28? Because you're talking about two mega contract extensions in your NFL career. In the NBA, it's pretty common. But in the NFL, it's not. So what what are the things that matter to Justin Jefferson with an extension? What are the things that matter to the Vikings with an extension? How are those going to intersect and how are they going to be able to compromise? They would want to get it done. I would love for them to get it done. I don't have enough Intel on either side to really understand how that's going to get done. And it's, it'll be difficult to predict, but I, I hope they get it done by week one. My guess is they get it done next off season. So I, I think there's also, and th- this has been discussed, but I buy it now. I think there's also a, a desire from the Jefferson camp to see the Bosa deal because Nick Bosa's contract, which I think they're now, they've now said probably gets done within the next 10 days. So he plays in week one. Um, it's expected, I think, to be the highest, make him the highest paid non-quarterback in the league. And to, to your uh, Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan point, Forno, you mm-hmm. know, clearly the Jefferson camp is going to want to surpass that immediately. And so I think that there, I think it might be a wait and see. I, I have a feeling a lot of the haggling in this contract has been worked out, but there's certain checkpoints still. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all if once the Bosa contract gets done and he becomes what is likely the highest paid non QB in the NFL, that it triggers the Jefferson contract to get done as well. But your point on term is really intriguing too. Um, because does he take, does he shoot for three years and to try to, reset the market in three years again, he's competitive enough that the answer could definitely be yes. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, the one thing I have no fear about is I think that this does get done at some point. Like, I don't fear there's going to be a holdout here. I think the Vikings will pay up. Um, But part of the question is, and Jefferson's going to eat into this part of the question is, okay, that's cool. Who's throwing him the football now and his contract will play a role almost certainly right in determining Mm -hmm who might be throwing him the football, let's say starting in 2024. This is going to sound hyperbolic and I don't mean it as such with Justin Jefferson. I really don't think it matters how much he's throwing in the football. Let me explain why. Take a look at Terry McLaurin in Washington. Look at the, the dumpster fire at the quarterback position that they've had over there. And he keeps putting up great numbers. If Justin Jefferson is as good as we say he is, and we believe he is, which the answer is yes. Yeah, he may not put up 1,800 yards, but he's going to put up 15. He's going to get his. And it's, I think, no matter who's playing quarterback, it's going to make it work. 
Now, do you want a better quarterback? Do you want to keep the receiver happy and less frustrated? Absolutely. But I think it's a lot less of, oh, we need to keep Kirk Cousins here or we need to have a certain level of quarterback here. Just don't have an absolute disaster zone of a situation there. And I think you'll be fine. Have capable. Obviously, we want to shoot for the moon and we want this great quarterback. But if we have really good or just good, I think it's going to be okay because great wide receivers still get production without great quarterback play. And it's consistent across the eons of time. If you're, if you're good enough, it's going to happen. It just may not quite be as good because obviously having better at the position is going to make it take it to another level. But I will say this, it's a really good point with the Nick Bosa thing where he maybe Jefferson really wants to be the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. He's there's merit to that. And I will never disparage a player for trying to maximize their wealth because all it's going to take is one hit. Jefferson snaps his leg or breaks his neck and it's over. Like that's just the nature of football. Shannon Sharp was a borderline hall of famer for the Packers before his neck injury ended his career abruptly. That can happen to Jefferson. That can happen to anyone. So if he wants to wait it out and maximize his value, good for him. I just hope that they're able to maximize it now and get the contract done. Uh, last thing for me, Forno, is uh, is Jordan Addison probably the most intriguing piece to watch in this offense just because it's the basically the only real unknown that's being added to an offense that was a top 10 unit last year? I, I'm i going to be honest. For me, it's K.J. Osborne because I think we, are, we already understand what we're going to get from Jordan Addison. You can see the projection. You can see the vision. You can see how he's going to impact this offense. What about KJ? We, we talk about KJ. Oh, he's a really nice player. He was a wide receiver three last year that struggled half of his yards. 350 of a 650 were in the final four games last year. How is he going to be able to pick up the slack as a wide receiver too? One of the reasons why that trade was made for TJ Hawkinson was because Thielen and Osborne weren't doing a good enough job. Same with Irv Smith Jr. So how is he going to step up into a role that Quite frankly, I think it's too big for him. I don't think he's a wide receiver too. I think he's a good wide receiver three. And that he's and he worked his way up from being announced as a kick returner. He wasn't even announced as a wide receiver at the NFL draft. So I'm really intrigued to see how he can step up, if he can step up. And if that answer is yes, now all of a sudden the Vikings have three wide receiver twos and above on their roster. And then that can make the passing game even more lethal. Uh, to me, that's the more intriguing thing. I think Addison's going to be great. We've already seen why just the the easiness of everything he does. And he's got Jefferson vibes with kind of how he moves and how he creates separation and runs his routes. It, it just looks natural. It looks like he's been doing it since birth. He probably ran a, a whip route coming out of the womb. Like that, that's just how natural it feels. So I'm less worried and concerned or like, I guess, anticipating watching him. I really want to see what Osborne does for uh, other reasons. Speaking of, of that side of football offensively, what is your concern or lack of when it comes to the running back spot? And I ask because of this, I feel like there's this perception of, Oh my God, Dalvin cook's gone. M- Madison's not that great. You know, uh, um, Kane Wong is on IR is Ty Chandler. Good. And for, at least from my perspective, my point continues to be, First of all, Dalvin Cook had some impressive runs, no question about it, 2023 or Mm -hmm. 22. But he he is a declining player, in my opinion, just because of age. And and he's been hurt before. The wear and tear is 
significant. But furthermore, I think the Vikings are looking for two things. One is I think that they are looking for their running backs who are being used to get positive runs. Dalvin Cook had a lot of minus one, minus two, and it put the Vikings behind the sticks on second and third down, which O'Connell hated. And I think what they want is consistency in yardage so that they are in much better favorable positions, especially in Mm -hmm. passing plays on second and third down. So are you concerned about the run game or do you see this more like I think O'Connell does, which is it's a means to an end to actually get where he wants to go offensively. And this whole, you know, the bell cow days are gone and this whole, well, you know, my God, but he had the great run against the, against the bills and dolphins. I don't think that's nearly as important to the Vikings as it is to have consistency through the run game. Yeah, that's a really good point. And the big thing with Dalvin wasn't that he couldn't hit the big one. He could still hit the big one. He did that against the Bills and the Dolphins in key points of those games. The issue was he couldn't do anything consistently. He had 64, Judd, 64 runs of zero or negative yards last year. That's 25% of all of his rushes. That's a problem. That's... I would rather have a guy who's consistent than a guy who can occasionally hit the home run. And that was one of the biggest frustrations with Adrian Peterson. Cause the stat line would be zero, one, negative two, three, four, negative one, 80. And it would, you wouldn't have a lot of those intermediate type runs in some of those games. I'd rather have a guy like the old Leroy Horde adage. If you, if you need one, I'll get you three. You need five. I'll get you three. There was something to it because it's consistent. You can count on Leroy Horde to get you a certain amount of yards, a certain point. And I think you can count on Madison to do the exact same. Yeah, he's not going to break the 80-yard run. He maybe get 40 or 50, but I can count on Madison to get four or five, where at the end, I really couldn't count on Dalvin to do the same thing. That's the idea here. And I think Ty Chandler finally started showing what I've seen the whole time in that he can be that running back too intrigued to see how they work in miles Gaskin. Cause they, I think they want to do a real committee approach and how they're going to maneuver all these snaps. All three of these guys can play on third down, which is a huge benefit. So how are they going to work them in? I think that is that there's got a lot of intrigue here, but the running game I think is going to be improved just because you're going to have a lot less negative out of the position. Great stuff, sir. Of, of course, again, check out Tyler's work, outstanding work, Vikingswire.com. Vikings, wire.com in fact you also can find the occasional zolgad piece there as well because there's always plenty to write and talk about uh tyler enjoy the opening of the college football season as you got the five tvs going uh, tomorrow declan tell the people what they need to know before we skedaddle yep hit the subscribe button for daily minnesota vikings entertainment right here on purple daily event line episode coming at you tomorrow and then uh one week from tomorrow is the return of the flagship version of vikings event line we'll talk to you tomorrow